Hello and welcome to Keeping It Real, where we're going to dive into the mysterious world of plastic surgery. My name's Alex, and each episode I'm sitting down with the respected surgeons Dr. Richard Bloom and Dr. Kim Taylor from Replastic Surgery, and we're going to ask all the hard questions that you want the answers to. Moist and not coming in saying, I want to look like Posh Spice or Pamela Anderson. And so it can be quite life-changing for them. And um, we see improvements in their self-esteem, their confidence. If someone's had good work done, then no, I don't, I don't believe it is obvious. If you're having a breast augmentation, you, know, you don't want to be going to the plastic surgeon who does road trauma. So in this episode, we're going to look at the first steps on the journey to achieving the perfect look. This includes how you can get the desired cleavage. We're also going to discuss side boob. And also the best question of all, is bigger necessarily better? Welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Real. Thanks for having us, Alex. Thank you. So this episode, we're talking all about implants. I guess for every woman, what size is the main question? Is that what you find as well, Richard? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's the key thing. And the hard thing is for them to communicate their size. So a, a young young patient last week who came in and said she wanted to look as natural as possible. And then I said, okay. And I, I really like patients uh, bringing, showing me photos. So she showed me photos that she'd taken of usually patients on Instagram of something that she looked really natural. And to me, uh, no, that's really not natural. So sometimes that you need to then sort of explain, I'm happy to do that, but you know that that's not what we really refer to as natural. And you go through what a natural breast might look like, where the upper pole there's a nice slope and the nipples uh, sitting in the most projecting part of the nipple, and there's a nice underboob and and lower curve and nice cleavage. So that was just an interesting patient from from last week in trying to in trying to get an understanding of what they're trying to achieve. The other thing is, is always cup size. I mean, cup size is a complete mystery to me, obviously, but there's so many examples where someone says, yeah, I'm a D, and then you examine them and you think, well, you know, that's really not a D, that's more like a B. And it, it often comes down to the chest diameter. So as the chest gets bigger, the cup size gets relatively bigger. There are also different brands. So... Yeah, that's a little bit of a, a, a trap at the start in terms of trying to understand what patients are trying to communicate about the size they want to achieve. So a D is not always a, a D. So photos are, are really key in this sort of area. And Kim, do you have a lot of women that come in and they know exactly what they want or do they rely on your guidance? Uh, a bit of both, both really. And really, the same as Richard, I encourage them to bring in photos of outcomes that they like the look of, that they think that they would like to look like that. That can be a trick in terms of also people having an expectation of cup size, but also when they come in with a preconceived idea of the actual size or style of implant that they want. So say they've seen a before and after of a uh, either one of our results or um, someone, another surgeon's results online, and it clearly says you know, A cup to C cup, they've had a high profile 350cc implant. And so um, a, a patient recently as well came in and said, you know, this this is what I want and I want the 350cc high profile implant. And it's then our experience translating what they're actually starting with, um, which may be different to what 
the photo of the that they've shown us is starting with, but trying to get the same outcome um, that they're after, which may not at all be that 350cc implant that they're expecting and, and trying to explain to them that um, each patient's dimensions is really you know, quite an important factor of, of where they're at to get the outcome that they're after. So it's not a, a set template really in terms of, you know, this plus this equals that. Each patient needs to be assessed individually and to be able to tell exactly what their outcome is going to be with a set size. And helpful to that is in our rooms we do have a 3D camera which is um, I find extremely useful with um, patients and I, I find that the patients really, really love actually looking at a 3D image of themselves on that and that we can put in different size and style of implants and show them exactly on their own um, body a predicted simulation of the outcome that they're after and I really find that that, you know, that makes a massive difference in trying to erase a little bit of the pre- preconceived idea that they came in the door with of what particular size or style of implant that they may have already decided that they wanted. Before we move on to style, 350cc seems to be what you see on the internet, on social media. It seems to be the go-to size. Um, why is that? It's a good question. I mean, if you had to um, summarise what most people want, it's usually for breast augmentation, I'd say the most common volume is around a a D and estimates sort of put about 150 uh, cc's as a cup size. So the example you've said is sort of that, that would be sort of two cup sizes up. So if you're a B, that would get you to a D and that's probably the most common change. The range of implant sizes that we would use would probably vary. The most common would be from sort of high 200 cc's to most like sort of up up to sort of low 400s probably but the vast majority sort of mid 300s um to to try and get to that uh d cup um it, it obviously depends a lot on where where you start from do you find that generally is it better for women to go too little or too much that's something that i do actually ask <laughs> each patient that when they're um really if they're tossing up between two different sizes um, to say, would you be more unhappy if you were a little bit too big or a little bit too small in your final outcome? And, and generally, most people can answer that question so that can help guiding, erring on the which way to go. The other thing about saying, you know, 350 is a you know, common size. 350, is, there, there's probably five different implants um, in terms of shape um, and different dimensions that are around that size. Um, and so it's not, a, again, a, not a cookie cutter, one size fits all, that um, one patient may need a tall implant, which means that it sits higher up on their chest if they're quite tall, or if they're shorter and broader, then they end up having a, a wider implant. But the volume may be the same and the outcomes may look completely different on the two different patients, depending on what their starting well, point let's, was. Let's get a little more into style. What what are the options other than we've obviously gone through tall and, and broad? What are they? Uh, so in, in Australia and particularly in Melbourne, virtually every plastic surgeon uses silicon gel implants. Um, and they're the implants that have been around for um, since the 1990s. Within that group, 
you can have round implants or anatomic or teardrop uh, shaped implants. In, in our practice, we've got predominantly uh, a teardrop shape implant practice. Um, and we both feel that can give you the most uh, natural appearance with the best balance of cleavage, lateral boob, um, projection without looking fake. In some patients, you can get a terrific result with a round implant. But I think if you took 100 patients who've had round implants and 100 patients who've done teardrop implants, you're going to have more a higher percentage of the teardrop ones that are going to look really natural and, and great. Um, whereas with the round, you'll have still have some that look great, but you'll have a larger proportion that maybe still look a bit fake or don't have the cleavage or don't have the side boob. Richard, from the, for, I guess from the male surgeon perspective, what do you think about going big or too small? It's actually interesting. Like I'm always trying to actually encourage women to go a bit smaller than, than bigger um, because I think long-term they end up being better. A lot of women may often come and they think, you know, if, if after, after they've had maybe had their surgery that they think they've got a great result, if I would have gone a little bit bigger, they would have been better. Um, it's not a direct correlation though. So, you know, as you go bigger, it often, um, it, it often can cause other problems and detract from the final result. In general, I usually have, it comes down to sort of two or three implant sizes that I think are all appropriate. And then it's a combination of a, a decision between, um, me and the patient. Often their partner is there. They're, they're actually really supportive and, uh, despite what your the way your eyes are rolling, the, the husbands are not actually always pushing for the for the bigger size implants. Um, they're super supportive, and they really just want what their their partners uh, want to do. Um, I can think of it. It was a case about a year ago um, where um, I was in the consultation with the patient, and me and the husband were both arguing with the patient to go smaller and she was, she was adamant that she wanted to go bigger. Um, so we ended up going a little bit bigger. <laughs> ultimately the patient wins to, to, if it's, if it's reasonable. And is it a rarity for people to, you were saying in other episodes to go, is bigger better kind of? Uh, it's very common. And the other thing in terms of the long-term result, um, I, I, because I, I kind of feel, um, you know, if you choose uh, an implant that, that's still a good size. And for the majority of women, as we've talked about in, in other episodes, the majority of women, they're, they're, they're mums, they're, they're down the beach, they're, they're um, down the street. You don't, you don't know they've got breast augmentation um, and they just want to be able to wear nice clothes. So they just want something that's in proportion, looks natural. For the odd time where they may want to look a little bit more enhanced and a little bit bigger, you know, you can still wear a a push up bra or still, um, you know, add in some, um, uh, filler padding, thanks. Uh, some padding into the bra, um, you know, for the one night in the year where you want to maybe look a little bit, um, bigger, but for 99% of the time, you just want to look natural. If you take that the other way and they go bigger for like permanently, just to suit that one occasion, well, then for the rest of their lives, they feel like they're too big when they're down the beach or playing tennis or doing pick-up, drop-off at school and things like that. So, you know, you you, you can still sort of wear a padded bra. It's not a f- doesn't mean that you've chosen the wrong implants or that it's a failure of the operation. Mm. There is a lot of chat at the moment about breast cancer and 
implants. Is this particular brands or should should basically should women be worried if they are having implants put in? Um, that's a great question. And certainly any woman that has a breast implant in has to be very, very aware of their own breasts and what is normal and natural for them. And any change from that needs to be checked and um, ideally by their original surgeon. Um, it's great if each and, and every woman knows exactly what type and brand of implant that they have. But most, uh, even though we give them a card that has all their details, um, most people within a few years have lost that and they, they don't know exactly what they've got. And the difficulty for us is if we see a patient of that's had implants a number of years ago, um, the surgeon's retired or the um, hospital's closed down where they had the implants and they, it's difficult to get those details. Um, but uh, all of the implants that Richard and I use are of the Mentor brand um, and that's a company that's been around for um, a very long time and it has uh, a very good and proven safety record. Um, the uh, current media... Um, discussions about um, breast implants and cancer is um, is talking about a very very rare cancer that's called ALCL or anaplastic large cell lymphoma, which is not actually a breast cancer. It's a type of um, hematological cancer, so a type of blood cancer, and it has um, been associated with breast implants in a very 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 small number of cases worldwide, compared to the number of breast implants that are around worldwide. There is a brand called Allegan that have removed all of the implants off the market. Um, but even with that brand of implants, the risk of this cancer is extraordinarily low. And the recommendation is just to be um, aware of your breasts and aware of any change and that no immediate surgery needs to be performed. And certainly we would not be recommending thousands, tens of thousands of women to be getting the implants removed um, on this basis. And another topic, which is very, very much the opposite of um, cancer, it's very lighthearted, is side boob. Side boob seems to be the thing at the moment. Um, it, how is that achieved? Or do you find a lot of people are really focused on this? This is one of the trends that we're seeing, which comes out of uh, patients being more aware of what's available. Um, so how do you do it? So again, with the anatomic or teardrop-shaped implants, you've got a lot more flexibility in the dimensions of the implant. So a round implant is, is round. So the width is the same as the height. Um, it, that's fixed because it's round. With an anatomic implant, you can vary the width of the implant to the height of the implant as well as change the projection of the implant. So with a round, so, so predominantly to get a side boob, you need to have an implant that's slightly wider than what the breast footprint is. And so um, uh, it extends sort of just to the edge of the, the chest um, and sometimes a little bit beyond. Now, if you're using a round implant, and for, for most women, their chest dimension is somewhere between 12 and 14, 15 centimetres. So to get more side boob, you want to have an implant that's sort of, if, if you've got a chest diameter that is, uh, say, 14 centimetres, you want to choose one that is maybe uh, 13, 13 and a half, maybe even 14 centimetres wide. The problem is most women's um, breast height, so from their fold to the top of their breast, is usually sort of only 10 to 12 centimetres. So if you're choosing an implant that's, say, 14 centimetres, if you're choosing a round implant, it's 14 centimetres wide and then it's 14 centimetres high, it's 
starting up at the top of their armpit. Um, so with an anatomic implant, we can choose one that's 14 centimeters wide, which is maybe 12 centimeters tall, but in addition, it's tapered at the top. So you don't get that roundness at the top, but still maintaining the, um, the, uh, lateral boob or side boob. And is, is it achievable in every woman or does it depend on your physique? I think it gets harder as you get get a wider chest because then the implant just gets too big and too wide, um, and you, you can't do it. But I mean, for the majority of women, yeah, and and you know, you you're going to create it in most cases. It's just whether you want to sort of try and emphasise it a bit more. There's a lot of that comes down to planning and um, personalising the implant to the patient. So um, measuring measuring their body shape. So again, goes back to the not having a, a standard cookie cutter size implant that is a one size fits all. Um, so you know, assessing each patient's dimensions and choosing the implant that best fits on their actual body to get the goals that they're after. And 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 the other thing is, as Kim was saying, I mean, as part of the assessment, some, some women just then naturally their chest, they might have a funnel chest, which means it slopes inward. And so then it's harder to get the breast implant to not sort of fall into the middle and you want to try and keep it out. So there are technical uh, aspects of the surgery then where you can try and modify the pockets so that the implant isn't just sliding down the chest into the middle and giving great medial or uh, cleavage um, and maintaining some still lateral boob. Well, let's talk about cleavage. Sure. <laughs> what, what, a, what is the trend in that? Yeah, well, I mean, we are seeing a lot of things uh, on social media, which is then influencing how we do the operation. So we just talked about side boob, but, you know, we see a lot more women wearing clothing and bras where they're revealing their underboob. So they, they like sort of a nice uh, curve, not too much fullness in their in their um, lower part of lower pole of their breast um, and also the medial cleavage. So having some women want a really tight cleavage, some women that's not so important. Um, and so again, modifying the type of implant you choose, choosing the pocket correctly. Um, sometimes you, if women want a really, really tight cleavage and they've got thin soft tissues, we'll even do fat grafting to help augment those areas. When you say tight, do you mean like the, close the together, push up close together, bra, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That push up bra, push up bra look without <laughs> wearing a push up bra. And then, and then we're also within breast augmentation as well as breast reduction, seeing sort of, you know. We hate the term because it's so um, such a has a, such a marketing spin to it. But you know, mini boob job, and the reason we hate it because it sort of sounds like trying to minimise the surgery. It's it's the same operation, but conceptually, you know, people are trending maybe towards smaller breast augmentations, and um, even with breast reductions, uh, wanting to have no breast tissue sitting on their chest wall, which sort of some people refer to as the French look, which is sort of quite small type. Uh, small sized breast. Well, I think you've mentioned before that a lot of women come to you after pregnancy. Yeah. It's a very big area. So can women still breastfeed? I think that's a, a major question a lot of women have. Uh, generally, the answer to that is having a breast augmentation is unlikely to change their ability to breastfeed. Um, so someone in their twenties that's never had any children, um, not every patient can, not every person can breastfeed anyway. So it's difficult to know uh, unless they've had children before or after the breast augmentation. But um, it's certainly not something that we generally see as an issue if someone's in their twenties and they're thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to have kids in my uh, late twenties or thirties. Um, it's not a reason not to have the surgery. 
Um, they need to be aware that there may be a small chance in drop-off. They may not be able to breastfeed, but they may not have been able to anyway. Um, but it's certainly not a reason that we would say, no, don't have the surgery. If someone was planning on having a pregnancy um, and breastfeeding in within the next year or two and considering surgery, then we would generally say to them, probably wait. Um, but if they're looking at the longer term, then it's not it's not really an issue. Um, and we certainly have many patients that have breast augmentation, have children, have family. And um, if they started with relatively small breasts, then often their outcome is still just as excellent after they've had their kids. If they put on a lot of breast volume during their pregnancy then and their breasts then deflate, then sometimes the implants can still be um, in an excellent position, perfect position, but their breast tissue has dropped, um, which would have happened whether they had implants or not, um, but they may then be considering um, having a, a revision rather of their breast tissue rather than of their implants. So they may they may be happy with the size of their implants um, after having had their family, but they may be looking at having a breast lift to uh, get the shape back to what it was mm. beforehand. And we've obviously touched on the type of practices and doctors for people to use in previous episodes, but is this just another example of why someone should be going for a quality practitioner? Absolutely. So um, during any consultation that we have with uh, any prospective patient, we really discuss their motivations for surgery, but also um, whether they've had kids, whether they are planning on having kids, what their timeframes are for that, um, whether it would be an issue for them if they were not able to breastfeed. Um, It's more likely to be an issue if they're having a breast reduction operation, for example, rather than an augmentation or even a lift. But it's certainly something that gets discussed extensively at a consultation with us. Richard, I know obviously everyone can't come to re-surgery um, in Melbourne. but what Yes, are, they can. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the checklists that you have for people if they're looking for a quality surgeon? Yeah, so I think there are, not, there are, quite a, there are a few things people should go through before they go and see a surgeon. So first these qualifications, we've talked about this. So make sure they're a qualified plastic surgeon. So they should have the letters FRACS plus after their, after their name. You can also go onto the APRA website, which is like the medical board and check what their qualifications are. And they should be listed as a specialist plastic surgeon. Um, the second thing is, and you can check this out through social media and websites, is to make sure that your surgeon uh, focuses on the procedures that you're interested in. And so in our case, that's breast and tummy work, but it, the same goes for if you want to have a, a nose job or a facelift, make sure that your surgeon, uh, that's part of what they do. And um, because we're sort of all trained in doing everything, but people develop subspecialties within plastic surgery. So if you're having a breast augmentation, you know, you don't want to be going to the plastic surgeon who does road trauma. The next thing would be to look at your surgeon's before and after photos. Often you can do that before the consultation. Most people will have it on their website. If they don't have it on the website, it's kind of weird and that would be a red flag. Um, so we occasionally hear, you know, patients come and see us and they say, well, you know, I went and saw surgeon X and I asked to see before and afters and they say, oh, we can't show you before and afters because of uh, confidentiality. That's kind of rubbish. We get, we get consent from all of our patients to do that. And, and we explain it to them, say, you know, you benefited from seeing other patients' results. And so it, patients are generally, pre, they're de-identified. Um, and so patients are usually pretty 
open to sharing that. So that's really important. Um, the fourth thing would be to check uh, the hospitals that your surgeon works at. And again, you, you can, there are websites where you can check and make sure that they're accredited facilities. Um, as we've talked about before, sometimes they can look like a hospital, um, but it's actually not a hospital. So that's really important. And the last thing, which I think is really important, is is to to like your surgeon and their staff. So if you if you if you go into someone's office and you don't feel comfortable or they're rude to you or um, you just get an uneasy feeling, that's a red flag. Like because it's all fine if some if everything goes great and mostly it does. But if something doesn't go great, that's the person and they're the people you need to call um, and get to actually do something. So you want to feel comfortable with them uh, and safe with them. So yeah, that'd be my five five things to check. I think I'm looping back around, but do you have people flying interstate because they like your work? Yeah. And well, your reputation. Well, uh, yeah, interestingly. Um, it, I had uh, last week, I had two patients from interstate. Um, and so that is becoming more common. Um, we, we now are doing, um, some video conferencing for patients who are, uh, out of town, but also patients in town who it's difficult to find time to come and see, see us. Cause it, it does take a fair whack of the day. Um, with those patients, we still see them before the surgery. So there's still a face to face consultation, but um, yeah, I had a patient from, she was five hours out of Adelaide and, uh, another patient from the, uh, Gold, Gold Coast, um, yeah, in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, it's becoming more and more common, but of course, with any patient who's traveling interstate, uh, the consultation is actually very similar. Uh, and, and I always see them for a face-to-face consultation prior to their surgery. Um, they, they then, they have to stay in Melbourne for, um, a period of time after the surgery. And then we still do all of their follow up. And if anything goes wrong, where, where they're still their first point of contact and, um, look after them in exactly the same way that we do the local patients. Well, that covers us for everything in terms of size and implants and also how to find a surgeon that's that's good and going to take care of you. Um, next episode, I think we're jumping into surgery, which will be very interesting for a lot of women listening. So thank you very much, Richard and Kim. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Keeping It Real. To keep up with our next episodes, go and subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you have further questions or want to take the next step, visit www.replasticsurgery.com.au or follow Re on social media. If you want to put any questions to our experts or join the conversation, head on over to our Re Girls Facebook group. 